Once again, welcome. There's a, there's a teaching that you find in what we call early Buddhism, and, and, and actually it, it, uh, it reappears later on in Buddhism too, around this uh, teaching of what's called a precious human birth, that being born as a human being is such a, a rare and precious thing. And there's this image, there's this analogy that's given. And uh, it happens in this discussion that the Buddha is having with his monastics. And he, and he invites them to imagine that the entire earth is, um, is just one big ocean. So that big of an ocean. And if there was a person who took a, a, made a wooden uh, ring, maybe about this big, and were to throw it in this vast ocean. And also in this ocean, there was this blind sea turtle that only would come up for air every hundred years. And the Buddha said, you know, can you imagine what are the chances of that blind turtle coming up every hundred years to catch a breath of water and that blind turtle's head going through that wooden ring? And of course, the monastic said, well, well, venerable sir, it would be highly unlikely. <laughs> Those intelligent monastics, huh? Pretty good. You know, such a rare, unlikely thing. And the Buddha says, oh, just so, just so, that is uh, the chances of being born a human being, that it's such a rare and precious thing. And I want to point out, you know, maybe for many people here, it might be difficult to relate to the story because the story is related, is, is situated in a particular culture, in the culture where there's kind of this assumption of rebirth. And, and I, I, I don't want to assume that. Some people here might believe in rebirth and other people don't. But regardless of how we hold rebirth, I think what evokes, what gets evoked for me from that story and this teaching is is what a rare and precious thing this life is. And it reminds me of this important quality of heart that we're here to cultivate and actually savor, which is gratitude. Right? When you think about a, this teaching, that's the, that's the word that comes to mind. Oh, this, this teaching, at least one aspect of it, is the importance of gratitude. And tonight, that's what I'd like to share with you about, is just reflecting on, sharing reflections on this this beautiful quality of a heart uh, called gratitude. And, and I think it's important to remember, I, I, sometimes people can listen to me thinking that you're going to learn something. But sometimes I don't know if my job is to teach you something. Sometimes I think my job is just to sing the praises of beautiful qualities of heart. And so maybe that's all I'm going to do tonight. And, um, and there's something wonderful about being in a group and to enjoy and savor uh, uh, the beauty that's here in the world, especially around movements of the heart. And that's so much of what this path is about, is, is beginning, beginning to appreciate and seeing the beauty in different ways of being. And I think gratitude is, is one of these, these, at least what I find, these beautiful ways of, of being. And I think this is what happens when I come across something that's rare and precious, or I realize it, the skillful response often of this heart is, I'm so grateful. And this fits so well with the aim of this path, kind of the, the, the way of being that the, 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 this, this path leads to. And I, I think I've probably mentioned this before because I find it striking. 
the king of Kosala, which was a, uh, he was a king of a, of a province uh, where the Buddha resided often, was speaking to the Buddha once and he, and he said, you know, so many of the, of the ascetics, the spiritual practitioners out there that have kind of renounced the home life to kind of go out and beg and, and pursue the spiritual life, they seem so unhappy and coarse and ragged, <laughs> you know, and, and emaciated. And, and yet the, the, the people that are really exploring the path that you're laying out, what's so striking to me is, is they always seem so joyful and elated. You know, they have such a, a serene countenance and peaceful. And he says, they seem to have a heart like a gazelle, which means in that, in that sense, a gazelle, a lightheartedness, kind of a lightheartedness to them. And I, I like to remind myself of that, that this is the aim of what we're doing here, to have that lightheartedness, you know, which sometimes is difficult to remember because in Buddhist circles, it can be so much fun to talk about suffering all the time. <laughs> That's what I like talking about. <laughs> Individual <coughs> suffering, systemic suffering. Bring it on, it's great. <laughs> um, but then we can lose sight of the, of, of the bigger picture of why we're exploring that. And gratitude reminds me of this because it, it does bring joy to my, to my heart. And it's a beautiful thing to, to train in. It really has this, this quality of, of an art to it. And so I want to share with you uh, kind of different dimensions that I find in, in gratitude. And I, I, this list that I'm offering is by probably no means exhaustive, but hopefully will we'll spur on a reflection or a, a kind of seeing the importance of it. And I'd like to share with you the beginning, the first two lines of a meal chant that's often done in the Zen tradition, in the Soto Zen tradition. And the, the, the first two lines are, first, 72 laborers brought us this food. We should know how it comes to us. So we have this first reflection <coughs> that one should do before eating. Oh, 72 labor, laborers have brought us this food. Well, I should understand this deeply. 72 um, refers to something specific. It's uh, in at least Soto Zen monasteries, it's said that there are 72 traditional roles in the monastery from kind of uh, the cook's helper all the way to the abbot. And it's all those 72 people that, that, that give rise, that actually create the unfolding of that community, that support the community, that support the feeding of everyone in that community. And when I uh, bring that in, having that as a first reflection, what it makes me realize is all the conditions that make life possible, that make my life possible. And when I reflect on that, I, I, feel, I do feel so grateful, at least when there's a skillful response of the heart. And we can talk about the unskillful responses, but I want to uh, kind of prime for this, this skillful response in this way. And it's not only people, right? You, when, we, when you imagine what supports your life, it's amazing from all the pollinators that are out there, the air, the sun, and the water, all of these things coming together to make our lives possible. What a rare and precious thing to have all of these qualities coming together. I mean, as far as we know, this is at least 
as far as we know so far, this is the only planet that we've found in this entire universe that having these conditions come together for this kind of life to arise. What a rare and precious thing. And when I feel that rare and precious thing dependent upon all these conditions, the skillful response, yeah, oh, gratitude, gratefulness. And, I, and when I reflect on this 72 laborers, I also reflect on uh, not only that, but something closer to home, our community here. You know, reflecting on, um, there's so many people that make these Monday nights and these retreats possible, which I just want to acknowledge. Like, for example, there's uh, the folks on the board. If everyone who's on the board, could you raise your hand? Just because often what happens with boards, many people who've worked with volunteer organizations know that sometimes so much work, I can see people nodding their head of people that have been on boards. There can be a lot of uh, work that goes unseen and that is, um, uh, that is not acknowledged. And so I, I really appreciate it. And it's, it is a lot of work, I'll just be honest with you. But there's, you know, there's so many uh, others of you that have uh, donated in so many ways. Like Joni's offered her land for us to sit on for years now, or Jeff's uh, helping out with this um, Donna retreat that is, and so is Susan, which is, um, they're going to be managers, which is a little bit crazy, but I am so grateful for that. <laughs> and people, and Jack has been really grateful, um, has been really helpful for us in terms of getting our nonprofit together and Dairy on our diversity committee and probably many others that I'm the forgetting. Vacuuming. The vacuuming, <laughs> Dean and the vacuum and Kathy co-teaching with me. And so many others. So I, I want to acknowledge that it, it, it's not like Monday night just happens and for an hour and then we, for a couple hours and then we go away, but it's really a community of people coming together um, in so many different ways. And so when I take that in, it gives me a different sense of what it is to be in community. It gives me a sense of these 72 laborers bringing us this community. And it, and it allows me to, to feel that in a different way. And I think I've maybe mentioned this a couple times ago about when I reflect on this, I can again see how my mind's been conditioned by a consumeristic culture. Like I feel like when, when I get lost in consumerism, I miss the 72 laborers aspect of it. Like it's designed that way. Like I, I can just go out and find again the cheapest thing, right? I don't, I don't think about who made that. I don't think about the kind of lives that they're living. I don't think about what that's dependent upon. And it's designed that way. And hopefully here we're, we're creating a different kind of community where we're trying to acknowledge the conditions that give rise to community and to do one simple thing, to be grateful about it. And I want to point out how difficult it is because sometimes when I mention this, sometimes what people feel is they feel guilty. <laughs> or maybe I should be doing more. Or I need to give more. But then it, it bypasses this beautiful quality of heart is to simply receive a gift and to be grateful. Do you see how difficult sometimes that is? Have you noticed how difficult it is to actually to land gratitude in your life? Because sometimes when somebody gives me something or I feel grateful, instead of simply receiving it and just enjoying it, I feel like I have to do something back or I have to manage that in some kind of way. And then I miss gratitude. 
So I know this is a simple word, but hopefully you hear what an art this is. And to enter a community based on gratitude and generosity is really something different. I mean, as you see, I have ulterior motives to undermine a consumeristic culture. It would be a cool thing to do with this community. <laughs> That's really what we're looking for. We're looking for the revolution. <laughs> And uh, in, in, in Pali, the, the word for gratitude, katanyu, uh, uh, actually, that's what it literally means, is to remember what has been done, what's been done in some kind of way, and then to take that in in this, this uh, uh, beautiful manner to really savor it. And then another dimension to gratitude and uh, one story about this, I, this was a, a brother monk of mine when I was uh, in the Zen tradition. He had shared with me that he was kayaking once down a river and it was a very swift moving river and uh, around the corner there was a tree, a, a fresh a tree that had uh, fallen into the river. And what happened is that his kayak got swept right up against the tree that was in the river. And the problem was is that it was, it was um, pushed against the tree and the water was tugging the kayak, tugging the kayak um, underneath the, the, the tree. And he had luckily grabbed onto a couple um, uh, branches so that he wasn't going under. And of course, the real reason he didn't want to go under is because if there were any branches he was gone, right? Because then the kayak would have gotten um, uh, stuck in there and he wouldn't have been able to get out of his kayak and he would have drowned. And so he said he was sitting there for his dear life, holding on to the branches and it just came to a point where he couldn't hold on anymore and let go and miraculously, his kayak went under and then he popped up on the other side. And he said after that he, he was walking around in a grocery store with this feeling of like, just this surreal feeling of realizing that there was such a good chance that he wouldn't have been there just in the grocery store. And it said it gave him such a different visceral feeling of what it was to live and what it was to breathe. And I think it was then he said that he really understood this idea that, that uh, my human life is such a rare, and precious thing. And the skillful response, gratitude, gratefulness, just to be alive. And the funny thing is, maybe not funny, but the, 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 the true thing is, is that's really the condition that we're all in. I mean, at some point, we don't pop back up. Whatever that is, whether it be through an accident or through sickness or through old age, this is what happens. And yet it's so easy to forget. And then what do we miss? I miss gratitude. I miss this beautiful quality of heart. There's a wonderful haiku by uh, Kobayashi Isa, who's a, one of the, the great haiku poets um, of Japan, 18th century, 18th, 19th century poet. Also, his, it's funny, 
Isa was a, a, a name that kind of came when he started to become a, po a poet, which means um, a cup of tea, which I really appreciate, kind of this appreciating the simple things in life, and you really find this in his poetry. So he has this, uh, this poem. He says, On a branch floating down river, a cricket singing. On a branch floating down river, a cricket singing. Such a striking image, don't you think? A little cricket on a branch singing in the river. So fragile and so precarious. And yet joy there. And I find that gratitude allows me to have that kind of joy when I'm floating down uh, the river in such a precarious situation that all of us are in. It's such a rare and precious thing and the skillful response, gratitude. I think there's some other interesting uh, dimensions in what I'd call true gratitude. And again, another poem to express this, and this is, um, it seems like I've been quoting this poet a lot recently, Shezwal um, Miłosz, the, um, the uh, great Polish poet. And he has a, a poem uh, called The Gift. And I wanna share with you just the first few lines He's describing a day. He says, a day so happy. The fog lifted early and I worked in the garden. Hummingbirds were stopping over honeysuckle flowers. There was no thing on earth I wanted to possess. And I knew no one worth my envying them. Right, this gratitude, but it had this quality. There's no thing in the, in the, on the earth that I want to possess. And there's actually no person that I envy in this moment. And I find this important because sometimes what I notice this mind does when it finds something that it feels is rare and precious, what does it do? It grasps onto it. It just wants to, it wants it to stay around as long as possible. And there can be an obsession with it, right? Whether it be a piece of chocolate or a person or an experience, I want to possess it. And Shizo Miwosh is, is describing something so different than that. A heart that's actually open rather than a heart that is, is, is beginning to constrict around an experience. So the skillful response of gratitude, this quality of being with. And I think this is important because how precious things can lead to grasping. And I think it's only then that the world starts to become alive with gratitude in so many striking ways when there's that openness without needing to possess.
I think the world begins to look radically different. At least that's what I notice when my heart's filled with gratitude. Again, another poem. Tonight's a lot of poems. <laughs> Javier Galvez, this morning, he says, This morning the sun broke my window and came in laughing. Such a different experience of simple experiences when the heart is open. And I hope you're hearing within this how gratitude is so intimately connected with being present, something that we're exploring every Monday night when we sit, is that when I'm training the heart and mind to be present, present without grasping, naturally it's going to be connected with gratitude. It's just a, the natural heart's response when it's, when it's present in a wise way. And I want to talk about two things that I find also get in the way of gratitude that destroy gratitude, not only grasping, but this whole other construct of, and it's, I think it's both valences of this, is when I feel like I deserve something, I actually deserve that. Or if I feel like I don't deserve something. I think that whole kind of narrative about what I deserve and don't deserve Man, that's a, that's a tangle. Because when I deserve something, then I deserve it. I'm not going to be grateful for it because I deserve it. The heart's not open. It's just getting what it, feel, it feels like is it's, it's right. Can you notice when the mind feels like it deserves something? Or the opposite of that. And we've already mentioned this around uh, this community. When I feel like I don't deserve something. You ever had that experience where somebody gives you something and you feel like you don't deserve it? It's so difficult for me to feel gratitude because it feels so complicated to me. Like, why are you giving this to me? I don't deserve this. And then I bypass the simple feeling of gratitude. So tricky. And then I, I, I want to bring this down to another level, another depth, which I think is important, which is the, the intersection of gratitude and challenges and difficulties in my life and how these play together because they can be so powerful. And the, and the, the story that comes to mind, which to me is still moving, is, is about um, this Tibetan um, lama, this Tibetan teacher, Tibetan Rinpoche, uh, by the name of Adi Rinpoche. He died maybe about... 10 years ago, really an amazing practitioner, an amazing human being. Um, he spent about 20 years in a Chinese prison, and there's a, a book uh, published about it called Freedom and Bondage. And it was actually, it was published only after he died because there was a lot of fear of what would have happened to him because he was still living in occupied Tibet. But just his story is really unbelievable about his experiences in prison and before prison. But before he was thrown into a Chinese prison, he was on the run. You know, this is when, when the, the, the uh, Chinese had in, in invaded Tibet. And uh, he was on the run for two years. 
with um, a number of people, and they were basically fleeing. And, and what would happen is they would get to a place, and at times they would be literally being shot at as uh, the Chinese were trying to track, track them down. And uh, he tells this story of actually being chased, really, for his life. And they were going through um, just, these, uh, just these areas of high alpine areas being chased. And he said, uh, as he was running through these areas, he realized he was going through these areas of all these, where all these great practitioners had practiced in these caves and in, these, in this wilderness area. And he, it would just filled his heart so much. And he would say to himself, you know, okay, so I could die right now, but it's so great to be in this area with all these, where all these great practitioners practice. Like, I'm just so glad that, that this has brought me here and I'm filled with so much gratitude. And he would say, oh, so what if I die now? I'm so glad that I am having this experience right now. Which to me is a pretty radical form of gratitude to be able to, when, when your life is threatened, to still uh, be so grateful for what was, what was going on. And I think it, uh, that story reminds me of something about our lives, which, you know, our minds don't really get this, is that, you know, what's happening in your life at any time, probably most of the time, your life is neither 100% good or 100% bad. But it feels like that, doesn't it? Have you ever noticed when something's going on, this is what my mind does, when something bad's going on, the, my whole world is bad. But it's not like that. A lot of times it's not 100% good. But the training in gratitude reminds me of that, that when I'm having a tough time, and I find this so helpful on the tough days of my life, and I'll get to um, ways to practice this, it balances that out. It reminds me that everything isn't bad today. It really is, is so helpful in that sense. And it's really this change, this change in perspective. You know, as Ziggy says, you know, the comic strip, Ziggy says, you can complain because roses have thorns, or you can rejoice because thorns have roses. <laughs> how are you going to see it? And this is so much of what we're trying to do here is, is how is the mind relating to this moment of experience? It's getting this a broader context. So how to practice gratitude? I think there are so many ways. So I just want to name one, one or two. You know, something that my wife and I do before we go to sleep at night, which is so great, is before we go to sleep, we ask each other, what are you grateful for? And just to have that, just to have that repetition of what, what am I grateful? What, what am I grateful for that happened today? And having that repetition is so wonderful. Or I know other people that, uh, other practitioners that now for years, they have kind of uh, buddies via email where they, they simply email three things off to another person of what they're grateful for. Or some people will write three things down every night in their journal about what they're grateful for. So just that repetition 
So I'm bringing that into the heart and mind every day. Really, that's what trains the mind to, to have this different view. You know, I, meant, I meant to get, there is one more um, practice to do, and I've only done a little bit of this, but there's a great YouTube video about it. And it's uh, whenever you, you find your mind uh, complaining, you end it with the phrase, and my life is very blessed. So whatever is going on to bring that in. <laughs> so there's a, a Vipassana teacher by the name of James Baraz and his mother, she was in her, I think, 90s when, this, when he, he decided to teach this to her. And she is notoriously known to only complain. Like when she, he talks about his mother, like that's all she does. She loves to complain. And there's a video of her. She is hilarious about how this impacted her life. So if you were to kind of Google James Baraz, B-A-R-A-Z, and mother, it should come up. And it's a great video of that, of just, just this practice. So I, I highly, highly recommend taking a look at that. Okay, so uh, let, let's uh, stand up and stretch and move around, and then we'll move into the <coughs> sitting meditation. Move into it and just. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.